Okay, we're recording. Cool. I am here with my brother David. <laughs> Dumoulin. Dumoulin. David Dumoulin. And this is, uh, we have had so many incredible conversations over the past couple of years, and I can't tell you how many times we've said, I wish we recorded that. Yep. So we're recording today. I'm going to try to do too many different things. Part of that is the caffeine speaking. David just made a delicious yerba mate, right? Mm -hmm. Yerba mate for us. Mm -hmm. A strong cup of mate. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking already for the past, like, three hours straight. <laughs> so this may or may not be shared, but if it is shared, uh, I hope it's valuable and enjoyable. And I welcome uh, comments and any engagement on it should go to YouTube, actually, since it's not on video. At very least, it'll be on Spotify, and then I'll probably link it to other socials, and I'll also look link how people can contact you. So before I begin, is there anything that's present for you that you feel would be enjoyable to dive into or to talk about or to continue on our dialogues earlier today? Yeah, man, stoked to stoked to be finally recording a uh, recording a conversation with you after all of these uh, amazing like three hour deep dives we've had. It's like, damn, I should wish we'd recorded that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just stoked to, stoked to be here in that and uh, and see where it goes. Um, mm -hmm. So earlier, oh, okay, one more one more side note everyone um, before I get into the conversation, I'm going to be talking about living truth. So uh, some part of this conversation is in fact an advertisement for the small group program that I have the early bird on it. Well, actually all the details I'll just put in the description to this video, but the early bird for that ends on January 16th, which is just a couple uh, days away from now. And actually I'll start there because well, the living truth program that I have, it's, it's a paradox because this already is it, um, this, this actual conversation that we're having. Um, and it's not because it's uncontainable. So I'm going to want to probably talk about that. And I'll begin by sharing with you an experience I had yesterday with uh, a client of mine, mm. which I thought was fascinating because it was in regards to uh, trauma and how the whole non-dual understanding intersects with trauma. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, and it surprised me too, because I had never even done something like this, but uh, I'm not going to name the person's name that I was working with. They just recently lost their mom, actually. Their mom just mm -hmm. passed away mm -hmm. and she was sharing with me that she feels a numbness mm -hmm. which like that actually i'm curious to hear from you even before i get into the whole story like when you are working with people uh or or in the trainings that you're doing david is going through uh, a training for mm -hmm. what's the exact yeah so i've been um 
engaging this training with being true to you. Mm -hmm. It's an organization that does uh, their kind of specialty is psychedelic integration mm -hmm. um, and pr preparation coaching. Yeah. Uh, as well as being focused around addiction recovery. Gotcha. So they're working a lot with people who are going down to like Ibogaine clinics to get off of heroin and cocaine whatever, but they also, you know, do just general broad spectrum transformational coaching. So mm -hmm. trauma informed working with medicine and also working with um, energies and concepts around addiction recovery. Got it. So we're going deep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're going as, as deep as you can go with uh, the nature of this stuff. Um, I want to ask you about numbness. Mm -hmm. Does the training or have you, even in your personal experience, worked with someone that says they feel numbness, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the sensation of numbness? And how do you navigate around what that is? I'm asking kind of a leading question because we did this whole exercise with my client that I was working with yesterday, but it's curious when someone says they're feeling numb. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's um, you know I don't I don't have personal experience working with someone uh, as I, so I haven't really dove deep into taking clients in this arena yet mm -hmm. um, who's you know going through the loss of a loved one and experiencing numbness. Yeah. I've definitely had conversations with friends who are experiencing this. I've definitely experienced this myself, and you know the first kind of curiosity that I have is you know my my intuition tells me that it's it's some way of dissociating or escaping or kind of um you know distancing oneself from the intensity of emotions that mm -hmm. may actually be tied to that event like the you know losing one's mom yeah um that's that's probably a really emotionally intense event and my my kind of Curiosity says, like, okay, maybe this is a this is a protective mechanism that says I'm not in a space where I'm available to experience the full spectrum of emotion yeah. that would come around actually connecting deeply to grieving for the death of my mother. And so instead I'm gonna numb out, shut down, and dissociate um, in order to keep on functioning in my life hopefully until I eventually have space to allow all of these emotions. Mm -hmm. But I feel for, like for a lot of us, we never actually find that space. Mm -hmm. like there's something in the system that says, I don't have room to process this right now. So I just need to put that over there right now mm -hmm. and wait, you know, like I've got, you know, all of these stressors that feel like they need my attention and yeah. my full bandwidth. Yeah. So I have to put that over there but then we kind of never get to it and it might end up just being this really unprocessed grief for a long time. Yeah. That then can be helpful to come out in a, in a conversation with someone mm -hmm. later down the line. It sounds like this is more recent for your client though. Yeah. Oh, her, her mom passed away like a week ago. Yeah. Maybe like, so God, there's, so many different directions that I want to go. We might spend the whole conversation talking about numbness, but also the deeper layers and, and the bypassing that you spoke to that may might be occurring. Or mm -hmm. I'm saying bypassing as in like, let's put this over here. I don't have the bandwidth to deal with this now. So yeah, 
I'm going to store that over here for later. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, I'll start by asking you and, and talking about the, the at least two different pathways that are available with um, the, the way I understand the non-dual teaching, which so Kashmir Shaivism mm-hmm. kind of approach and then the neti neti approach. And I look at these depending on where someone's at mm-hmm. as like, okay, neti neti. I'm not going to get into the whole description of it, but if anyone listening wants to look this up, you can always look this up. It's oh, oh no, there is there's there's three approaches actually. The neti neti, the Kashmir Shaivism going into the feeling or the sensation or the emotion. And then the other one is um, self-inquiry, self-investigation, all focusing on kind of three different aspects of who's the one that's feeling it, self-investigation, the feeling itself, Tantra or Kashmir Shaivism going into the emotion Mm -hmm. or the kind of rejection of all of those things to then see what one actually is. Mm -hmm without being identified exclusively mm-hmm. with any of those things. Mm-hmm. And I've just intuitively played with this, with people, clients, people that I work with of like, what's, what's fits now. And I don't know, I don't know the answer. I play with it and we just explore a little bit in a, in a safe kind of container. Right. And so numbness another actual, a mutual friend of ours, I will again, name names, but is going through a breakup uh, with their partner and they they continue to indicate to me this like void this numb space and it's neutral and when i'm in conversation with them i'll say okay either that's a profound sadness and you're just there's fear around it which is okay but it's like this tremendous sadness that feels overwhelming so no or and and i think that this is where people like suffering is grace can come online or they're touching into the hollowness of being of of the blissful realization that the the loss that they're feeling is kind of metaphorically or symbolically pointing to their own innate emptiness mm. and that that's actually like incredible and, and beautiful. And that's not to say to not feel those emotions, but okay, I'll bring it back to the the client that I was working with yesterday. We explored, because I like to go to like, okay, where are you feeling that in your body? Are you feeling that in your body? Mm -hmm. And she said, I feel it in my, uh, in in, in, in the center of my being, like in the chest area. And then I, I, she was just with it for a moment and it was, she was feeling whatever was she was feeling and it felt safe or safe enough to continue to do that. I said, okay, what, what's, what's around that or what is aware of that? And I was certainly trying to lead this in a, in a certain place. And she said, well, there's a younger version of me that feels, um, like abandoned or left by, by their mom. Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, what's on the, what's even outside of that? Mm -hmm. 
and she said, she's experiencing it. She's trying not to make it a mental thing. She said, it's kind of like a bubble of awareness. I said, okay, what's, what is aware of the bubble of awareness? And she got to this place and she's not like into non-duality, like hardcore, any of this. She's sitting and she's like, formless, formless awareness. And on the, on the inside, I'm sort of doing this celebratory, like, that's it. That's the thing. But I want to, you know, not, it's not the time and place to celebrate that. I said, okay, tell me about that. What is that? Mm. She said, it's kind of like an eye. It's just like this eye Mm -hmm. that's seeing all of this. And I said, okay, let's flip that upside down. And by the way, this is not something that I do with people. This was just intuitively coming to me in this moment. And I said, go to the center of, oh, oh, one thing that I left out. She said the first core of this feeling, a feeling numb from potentially from her mother's death. She doesn't really know what she's feeling. She named it the hollow. She's like, I want to give it a name, the hollow, a hollowness Mm -hmm. feeling Mm -hmm. sort of. And so I said, let's go to the center of the hollow with the eye and just see what, what Mm -hmm. is it any different sort of inverting it and looking from the inside out. And she's like, formless awareness. It's just this neutral. And then I said, okay, go to the next layer. Go with that formless awareness to the layer of the hop hollow. What do you feel? What are you experiencing? Formless awareness. And we went each way out and in, out. And there was this really lighthearted kind of recognition. And she started laughing. And it was, mm-hmm. it was to me, an example of someone, which I couldn't have known this before I had the conversation, I mean, I have an idea of her because she's someone that I've been working with for a while now, but she even said to herself, she said, I don't know if I'm in denial right now, or if I have a deep and profound acceptance. Hmm. And from, from what we did, it, it seemed to be more so on the side of like a deep and profound acceptance. But that what I'm wanting to kind of dialogue with you about, talk about is this close relationship between emptiness numbness and how at least to me that feels like kind of just the threshold between a terrible depression and the alleviation of it when that's i guess sometimes when it's worked with sometimes it's totally grace so yeah i know that's unhelpful but curious what you are what's present for you yeah yeah as you're as you're sharing around that situation uh the conversation i i definitely what 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 i see happening often with people and this is kind of tying back into like what is actually a spiritual bypass is grabbing a hold of some of these teachings around, you know, um, formless awareness and nothingness and and the neti neti, like I am not this, Mm -hmm. um, and using those things to dissociate oneself from painful experiences and then staying dissociated, but, but looking at it like it's a high spiritual state when actually it's escapism. where, where I feel like, you know, it, it sounds like what you kind of, the way you navigated in this conversation was really skillful in that 
it, it brought her out to a, a safe enough distance where she had the opportunity to rest into her formless awareness that is not deeply identified with the story of this persona, of this manifestation of everything. Um, and then from that safe distance of having kind of like leaned back into this formless awareness, perfection, safety, from there you can go back into the, the trauma, the experience, the hollow, the numbness, and maybe there was more availability to explore those things kind of from the space of safety. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, it, and it kind of reminds me almost of like the, a little bit of the, um, the perspective that they're doing ketamine assisted psychotherapy with, that ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. Mm -hmm. So actually what it does is it helps you to step outside of the intensity of whatever traumatic experience is too hot to touch. Um, it's just too much to go into. And so it, it allows you to take a little bit of distance away from that. And then from that space of like slight dissociation with the therapy, you mm -hmm. can go back in and look at it now mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. this very like objective observer, neutral equanimous space that allows you to explore like what is this trauma? Like what is this experience of losing my mother? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so it, yeah, it's, it sounds, it sounds like you really kind of like skillfully applied that non-dual exploration, mm -hmm. but you didn't just say like, okay, now you're in the formless perfection and we'll leave it there, mm -hmm. you know, forget about the numbness. It's, you know, you're formless and perfect. So, you know, what is there to worry about? Everything's perfect. It's like, no, okay. You're formless and perfect. So what's the problem with exploring if everything is formless perfection? and I'm, it's all perfectly okay, everything is as it should be, then we can explore this, mm -hmm. what's here. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a side note that I wanna add before I go any further. This is not someone that has zero experience with working with their emotions and, uh, kind of some of these spiritual practices that you and I are talking about. This is someone that for the past at least three or four years has really been diving into their own meditation practice mm -hmm. and uh, therapy, et cetera, et cetera. I don't need to get fully into it, but I'm, I'm, I want to say that because it's not like this was just someone random off the street that I'm having this comment. There was a, 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 a basis. And I feel like that's important mm -hmm. with this. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have had that nuanced of a kind of a conversation of, okay, zoom in, zoom out, that sort of thing, I don't think. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, talk to you about based on what you just said, numbness. Oh yeah, that, that's right. So as a result of this dialogue, the prescription, if we can call it a prescription was, Okay, so continue to feel what you're feeling around this as it's coming up. And that's exactly what this individual is continuing to do. Um, and so that actually ends up being out of those three quadrants that I was pointing to at the beginning, the cashmere shivism mm -hmm. approach, which is 
well, like this thing that I'm feeling in my body or, or however it's being felt is here. So even if that does, I'm answering my own question, which is like, well, what is numbness? But then there's, I think there could be uh, intellectual separation from whatever that numbness is instead of just feeling whatever that, even though we're calling it this, like now it would be interesting if I asked someone, well, where do you feel it? And I, I have not encountered this actually. I don't know if you have, if you say like, well, where do you feel this feeling at? And they're like, oh, it doesn't actually have a place in my body. Mm. I've never experienced mm-hmm. that. Oh, mm-hmm. every single time someone's like throat, head, midsection. And then at least I, I feel that that's an indication that we are working with something that is an actual emotion, mm-hmm. sadness, mm-hmm. anger, whatever. I think there's only five of them. Yeah, so this um, it's it's interesting to explore, you know, what is what is numbness, uh-huh. and and it's uh, you know, it's going to be an individual experience for yeah. each for each person in each mm-hmm. different situation. And as you go into it, you know, numbness as an idea may seem like an absence of experience or an absence of feeling, mm-hmm. absence of emotion. But I, I feel like at least for me way I experience numbness is usually like I can feel that there's an emotion that is like wanting to be felt mm-hmm. but I don't seem to be able to access it and it's almost like there's this like foggy misty haze of obscurity mm-hmm. that's preventing me from touching where I can kind of like I can feel that there, there there's something there where there should be something there or something but it feels like it's obscured, Mm -hmm. but it is, it is local and it is like an experience Mm -hmm. that numbness actually feels like something. Mm -hmm. It's not just this like nothing. It's like, Oh, I'm numb. So what does that feel like? It's off. It's like nothing. It's numb. No, it's actually, it's right. You wouldn't be able to point it out. Yeah. Yeah. So diving, diving more into that experience of like, Oh, what is, what is numbness like? Where do you feel numbness? Is it, and how, how big is it? Is it, is it moving? Does it have like a density? Yeah. Um, can kind of start to unpack, the, pull apart the numbness and then mm-hmm. some other, other things you might find some access points to what's underneath that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it can also be interesting to look at like, oh, like, how is that numbness serving you right now? Mm-hmm. Right. What are what, the benefits? What, what is yeah. the benefit of feeling numb in your life right now? What are you, like, what, why are you feeling this need to protect yourself from feeling the, your full range of emotions? And then looking at, you know, especially if that numbness kind of isn't dissolving and it doesn't seem like there's an access point to like what are, what's really underneath that. Yeah. Then maybe working with, okay, like how can we cultivate more spaciousness and safety and security or, you know, whatever you discover it is in that conversation so that that function of the numbness is no longer necessary for that person to feel like safe and stable and able to operate through the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So taking the conversation just in a little bit of a different direction, but uh, I want to talk about, because you had mentioned, we had mentioned spiritual bypassing mm-hmm. and sort of taking these, con- the ego, I guess, taking these concepts and appropriating them, I guess, for their mm-hmm. own usage. Um, and we mentioned it, we were just with our friend Justice, who quite literally dropped in <laughs> um, to have lunch with us. And we were talking about being fully, fully individuated, fully in our, what I find to be like our unique expression. And at the same time, fully feeling, by both of these being a feeling, feeling one with all. And uh, what I want to talk about is how, I don't know about you, but I have never met someone that I can say that person's free of all psychological, uh, emotional and psychological turmoil, turmoil, Mm -hmm. I guess. I don't want to use the word Mm -hmm. suffering per se, but just, just stuff that comes up in the mind. And I think that it's a myth that upon someone being quote unquote liberated is going to also be free of all psychological, even suffering actually free of any of these things that, you know, if you're living in the same world that I'm living in, it's there for me. And yeah, I've had certain experiences and, uh, you know, you've had certain experiences yourself and also in India, we'll say. And I, w- I want to, I'm, yeah, I'm curious w- what you could comment on about the whole, like, a being not being, uh, let's say, facing every single thing that appears in our day to day, but also, um, I want to say liberated. Or, or also like the, the living contradiction. And I'm pointing this out because this has a lot to do with the living truth. <laughs> and that's what it's all about, which is like that, I, I guess the big thing that it's about that I want to point out now is continually bringing our mind away from going into the future and going one day I'm going to be free. One day I'm going to be totally like no i want to continually bring bring back the conversation the feeling to whatever that is if that is real and by that when i'm referring to that here i'm referring to freedom liberation enlightenment heaven on earth whatever you want to call it that that can only be found with what's available to me now in this moment And uh, yeah, what do you what do you have to share on that? <laughs> if yeah. anything, yeah, totally. Yeah, seeing seeing that that is a so on the on this topic of. I feel like there's there are some old there's some very old concepts around um, 
what is enlightenment mm -hmm. that were codified in a variety of different traditions um, and especially in the buddhist tradition and especially in theravadan buddhism which is kind of more orthodox buddhism that there's this kind of perception of what is enlightenment that it you know some of these schools are like really adhere to like it is freedom from all emotions uh -huh. it's like a lack of emotionality that uh -huh. somehow like you're liberated from suffering and you never suffer again and you never experience any intense emotions again mm -hmm. and you're not attached to anything and just like nothing matters to you uh, like it's all good one way or another somebody could you know give you a hug or stab you in the belly and they'd be the same to you and and this is just kind of like a, from from my perspective from listening to some uh you know deeply awakened and deeply practiced spiritual teachers um in, in a variety of different lineages like this is just an old idea that got like incorporated into these into these scriptures that's not really realistic and doesn't really happen and if somebody claims that that's what they're experiencing then the chances are is that they've just cultivated an incredible capacity to repress their emotions or they've deeply dissociated from their emotional experience mm -hmm. and they're and they're no longer able to really contact that or recognize it or they have so many ideas around what enlightenment is and they have such a strong like enlightened identity that they've established around their story that they don't like allow themselves to acknowledge what they're actually experiencing mm -hmm. is my perspective mm -hmm. on, on that this kind of like freedom from all emotions yeah like never suffer again um in in my own experience like i still experience a lot of suffering um but when I'm feeling more free and when I'm more kind of operating from that perspective of, of unity and liberation um, and resting in that kind of ground of like who I truly am, then that suffering doesn't feel like a problem. It, it's almost like I've, I've started to think about it more and more like growing pains. Yeah. Yeah, like if, if you're not aware of the process of growing, that it it like your legs are getting longer uh -huh. at a at a rate at like such a fast rate that it hurts. Um, you know, a child is not aware of that. They say, "Oh my God, I have this intense pain in my leg." Like, what is this? And if mom and dad don't know what it is and say, oh my God, what's this intense pain in the leg? And we go to the hospital and what's going on? And, yeah. and it becomes a problem. But if there's awareness of like, oh, those are growing pains. That is pain that you're experiencing from the expansion of your, of your being. Um, then all of a sudden it becomes okay. And the pain is still there. But because you've made meaning out of it, that this pain is, is evidence and function and part and parcel of my growth, it's not a problem. And, and I feel like it's, it's very much the same way with our, with our suffering. Um, and that part of liberation to me is recognizing that this suffering that we're experiencing in relation to others, in relation to ourselves, in the way that we show up in the world, wherever it comes in and the loss of a loved one these are all opportunities to grow mm -hmm. 
and and that there's it's going to be it's going to be a painful experience uh, but that pain is actually the pain of the expansion of our capacity to to hold one another and to hold a fuller larger spectrum of human experience mm -hmm. it's like the pain of your bandwidth for experience in this in this earthly realm getting bigger and bigger Dude, um, I just had, I think, what might be a big insight uh, into the reason why I can't even describe it. So I'll just have to share with you what was coming through and see see if you're if you can connect the dot that I, I connected with everything you just said. Pretty much everything you just said. So. David has a lot of experience in meditation. I would say definitely a lot, a, a ton more than the average human being, right? Like, like that's, yeah, I, I did a lot of retreats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, and furthermore, I just see that you cultivate, you're, you're constantly working on yourself in lots of different ways. And so am I um, in, in lots of different ways too. And I'm giving that as a, a kind of caveat to this experience that you and I did had together at my place two or three weeks ago, where instead of doing it, which anyone could do this at any time, I just want to share what, what happened. I invited David to basically say, to give any words possible to his direct experience, um, stripping away any ideas, any just like what can actually truly be said of this moment. And I'm paraphrasing you, but it was something like just this or mm. this, this, whatever, just there, there. And I, I framed it as like there, there, it appears that there's an experience or, or there's just whatever this is. And <laughs> I say that because I don't know if that's something I would, if I heard myself say that before, tons of meditation or plant medicine, maybe I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have necessarily made sense, but, but maybe it would. And that's the paradoxical thing where I, I really feel very resolutely that if someone sits down or stands up, doesn't matter what position and just goes like, what's what, like removing all of the ideas and concepts, mm -hmm. what is, what is right now? And so that knowledge is helpful. I think that knowledge is really super helpful to in a, in a way unhinge or metaphorically go spend time in a cave or on top of the mountain outside of all the different relationships etc cetera, etc cetera. but and here's the, this is the connection i just made that's not the prescription as to how to deal with all of those things down in life you see what i'm saying right it's like that's helpful that's awesome and that doesn't mean when something happens, you just immediately strip away all of the whatever's happening and just go, what's, the, you know, it's just like maybe having that can help you orient to be like, okay, remember in a gentle background way, like this is all whatever, there just happens to be this, but there are skillful means of whether it's trauma integration or becoming more individuated or 
expressing one's unique gifts or mm. saying no instead of I, this was all coming to me as a result of thinking of a person that has reached quote unquote enlightenment but it's really as you were saying and we can't say one way or another we're just speaking kind of uh, as an idea here if it's someone that has just become a master at suppressing their emotions mm. or they're a master at suppressing their emotions and they don't find themselves ever or rarely in environments where they do need to express their emotions because they have somehow removed themselves from the necessity to be in a situation like that. So the connection that you helped me make here, I feel is the deep and profound utility of uh recognition of of true nature but i could say maybe that's even saying too much there's overlays of concepts it's just like yeah. the just thisness and then taking that back into the real world and be like okay well so then yeah live from that or live in relation to that in a way that i know i've at many times tried to somehow take that understanding mm. and think that that's an answer to all of my life's problems and challenges mm. and it doesn't seem to fit. Yeah, it, it, it can be really helpful because, because it does provide this, um, it, it feels like the ultimate tool for regulating your own nervous system when you're in a, when you're, when there's a triggered state, when there's some level of intensity that's mm. happening in your field that having that deep awareness of you know the just this this um when you really tune in with wait what's actually happening right now what is real mm. right now and and what is just you know what is the memories of the past the ideas about the future and all of the concepts that are interpreting and making meaning out of and all the patterns and layers that are navigating, you know, trying to vying for control. Yeah, you might so not get that all chaotic easy. and you're like, whoa, this is just way too much right now. Yeah. Uh, it can be really helpful to drop back into like, okay, what's actually real right now? Mm -hmm. And then from that space of more stability and equanimity and peace to then be like, okay, now I'm, I'm in a more resourced and regulated space to actually look at you know, mm -hmm. what is this thing that's arriving in my life right now that is asking for my attention. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, mom died and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe my family members are, are reacting in different ways and I'm, I'm engaged in their process. And the totally not helpful thing for me to do is to be like, Hey guys, don't you realize that everything's perfect and nothing matters? in response to their very real experiences of suffering. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that, that, that's where I see this kind of misapplied often is it's, it's a way it's like this, like universal panacea to all challenges in life, like reductionism, right? It's kind of the reductionist, like here's the solution to all of it. Yep. Just escape everything by, by non-dual concepts. Yeah. Like you can just like escape out into your true nature and it means you don't have to deal with your life. Uh -huh. Rather than using that as a tool to create the stability and equanimity that allows you to get, engage in any situation, no matter how difficult it might be, and to 
fully engage and fully be there and fully hold space for all of the emotions and to be able to experience all the emotions flowing through your own system. And for that to all also be perfectly okay. Yeah. It, to this last piece that you pointed to is so beautiful hearing uh, during the session that I had yesterday because she was experiencing lots of, uh, let's say, egoic tendencies and, and strong emotions coming up with her siblings before mm-hmm. her mother had passed. And she had expressed to me because we had some, like a, a few weeks back, um, she had shared that with me. But then she went back in to visit and she was saying this very same thing that you just said, where she was noticing them, her sisters, or at least one of them, having sort of an emotional reaction. And she was noticing internally, not, not, she wasn't expressing it, but in the very moment that it was happening, she was recognizing, oh, this is where I would normally do that thing, mm. but I'm not going to do that thing because she had a sort of a recognition of that that's not helpful for anyone. Um, and then she said she even felt like her behavior with that sister naturally helped her other sister self-regulate. Mm-hmm. So her own self-regulation was helping someone else self-regulate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, it's kind of contagious. Yeah. <laughs> which is awesome. And, and it, and it's kind of, it's fundamental. It's like one of the core needs of children is healthy, emotional co-regulation. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most important things that they get from their parent is that when the, when the child is having an intense emotional experience, that the parent is able to regulate its own nervous system, not the nervous system of the child, but mom or dad is able to regulate mom or dad's nervous system and be that energy and vibration of calm and peace and everything's okay. And then the child can attune to that everything's okayness, um, kind of like, like tuning forks. And, and that's, that's one of the core and fundamental supports that a, that a child who doesn't know how to regulate their own nervous system yet needs. And then, so it sounds like your, your client was able to kind of serve in that position for her sister by regulating her own nervous system and not being in this reactive, you know, angry or anxious or panicky or controlling mm-hmm. like state that she didn't have to do anything necessarily. Right. Exactly. But, but her sister was able to attune to her own regulation. We notice this all the time. It's like, you know, there's certain people that you just feel good being around. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, there's a certain level of energetic attunement. It's like, oh wow, this person is just like, is really peaceful and it's just mm-hmm. easy to be around. Yeah. And so, in that way, self-regulation. It doesn't mean it's not. It's not reduction. It's not. We're not reducing it to. That means any one thing. It just means that internally maybe it'd be good for us to kind of define this and talk about it. Mm. I think of self-regulation as in the state that I'm in when I'm not in fight, flight, or freeze. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I'm just like self-regulation is a, the innate, natural, kind of neutral way of being. Is that what, how you would kind of define that too? Or what would you? Yeah, exactly. Being able to navigate uh-huh. 
back to that, you know, like parasympathetic, the, you know, rest and relaxation, rest and digest nervous system activation, um, where you're not in fight, flight, or freeze. Um, being able to navigate back there uh, with yourself, you know, you, you have tools, and it doesn't mean that you don't in, interact with anyone else, but there's this kind of like core ability to like, I have the tools to navigate back to a space of equilibrium in my own nervous system. Even if one of the tools that I use is having a conversation with a caring friend, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I still have that deliberately in my tool belt of like, I recognize that I'm triggered right now. I'm gonna call up Christopher and be like, hey, Christopher, I'm triggered right now. Let's, can, I, can we talk? I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday about, uh, a couple days ago, about how this taken to an extreme, it can also play a part in a codependent relationship where Uh if one person is always occupying the pole of being, having a regulated nervous system uh, and the partner is always relying on that person with a regulated nervous system in order to be able to regulate their own nervous system. And they're actually not capable of regulating their own nervous system around their triggering without engaging with their partner. Then it can kind of contribute to this codependent dynamic where you know, they have to keep on coming to their stable partner mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for the capacity to unwind their triggered state. Mm. so it it can be like these these kind of like relationships around uh nervous system regulation can be kind of taken to an an extreme where they also become unhealthy Mm -hmm. i can only imagine that so many people are in a similar or that very configuration that you're talking about And I, I think that then it would be the hope would be that it's the person that is so, so fantastical, a fantasy. But I'm, I'm thinking if you and I were in a sort of a codependent relationship mm. like that, and I was the one continually wanting to regulate my nervous system whether that's conscious or unconscious by coming to you Mm -hmm. i think the hope would be that i'm the one that recognizes that and would have to somehow go along the process of untying myself from you in order to figure out how to regulate myself Mm -hmm. But I think that's often what's not there or the the likelihood of that just continues to decrease as that bonding. Because guess what? The very thing is probably the freaking definition of codependency. When I start to go, oh, I'm going to pull myself away from you. And I look to, oh, well, how can I feel good or feel whatever? It might be, boom, I want to just go right back to you. Yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, it, it seems to me like in, if that is a particular orientation of that codependent relationship, and, and there are so many different ways I feel like to be in a codependent relationship. Yeah. Um, but if that's one of the things that's kind of showing up in, in that connection, the person who doesn't have any of their own tools for regulating their own system is probably the person who has the least capacity to recognize the right. state that they're in um, and to be able to consciously engage in separating themselves from that, that state. Uh -huh. um, not to say that it can't happen, and there's many different ways that you know we might be able to catalyze that ah. that recognition and that ability to choose. It's like, oh wow, like I need, you know, I maybe need to um, develop some familiarity with my own tools for for regulating my my emotional state. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I I feel like kind of the the person who's in the regulated state has probably more capacity mm -hmm. and probably more awareness for seeing the codependent dynamic playing out and, and maybe is in a better position to change how they're showing up to see is like, oh, is, is there any victim savior dynamic going right. on here also? Yeah. Is that person who's in the regulated state, do they have, are they kind of bought into feeling good because they feel like they keep on saving their partner? rescuing them right. from their chaotic right. emotions um and you know maybe that person can cultivate um just just more attend paying more attention to turning that partner's awareness back on their own abilities on their own tools mm -hmm. still holding space around that that trigger but rather than being the one who's responsible for you know regulating the other person's experience maybe just holding space for like, oh, like, yeah, I can see that you're triggered right now. What do you, like, what do you feel like the best thing that you might be able to do with yourself in this moment mm -hmm. in order to come back to a place of stability and calm? What do you, what do you feel like that might be? Mm -hmm. And just kind of holding them accountable to that exploration of how they can actually bring themselves back down. Mm -hmm. It's freaking modern day shamanism right there. <laughs> but it really is i was just listening to a, a podcast something and they were talking about the role of a shaman and how essentially it's just it's similar to a, a i think they were saying like a magician in the mm. sense that or a wizard that they're there the sole purpose is for them to reflect to the other that their healing capacity is inside of themselves <laughs> it's like yeah yeah, that's cool. Do you remember what it was when we were downstairs eating lunch and I, I said, ah, oh, that's something to maybe talk about. I, I noticed my mind continuing to go back to that. It, it was us talking about if we were or weren't going to record mm. the conversation. And I was like, ah, oh, maybe we could talk about that. So something about your emotions or thinking about like, maybe wanting to do it but no i can't and i was like ah let's save that for later i put it in my mental statement for later i don't know where it is I but it. i wanted to okay you yeah, lost I lost it, it. Uh, oh side note for anyone listening david was just referencing this kind of victim uh i call it the victim triangle and there's a great book on this that my therapist suggested to me five years ago or so uh i'm not that was my therapist at the time 
I think it's called Breaking Free of the Victim Triangle hmm. by Diane Zimberhoff. And it's this, you're familiar with the Victim Triangle, yeah? Yeah, this victim, perpetrator, savior, yeah. or hero yeah. uh, kind of dynamic. Right. Yeah. It's all just a victim. Right, yeah, it's, it's all one thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And the only way out, so it says, and so I've experienced, is to stop playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no winning that game. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an endless, endless game. Uh, it's not a victim pyramid. Not that there would be a winner at the top of that pyramid either. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. Um, you know, well, I, I guess it's different parts of that dynamic are, are tricky for different people. My, the particular part of that dynamic that I've, I've had the most uh, challenge in navigating is my own savior complex. It feels like there's an extra layer of challenge that comes with that part because it's so socially acceptable. Like you can you can really get a lot of uh, praise, acceptance, appreciation, validation from being a uh, a skillful savior, from being a successful like you know really good at playing the savior role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of helping professions and therapists and you know da, 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 da. you can you can look like a very good person uh while playing the savior yeah and so and so it can be particularly difficult to to disentangle yourself from that from that dynamic you know for me i i have at times um found a lot of like self-worth and acceptance and validation and uh feelings of like wow i'm such a great person from playing the savior role when, uh-huh. when really actually me playing the savior is feeding that triangle and it's feeding that victim perpetrator savior loop so i am equally a part of that problem mm-hmm. by playing the savior i am fundamentally enabling the victim mentality mm-hmm. and and kind of almost even sometimes forcing someone to stay in their stay in their victim state Dude, to me, that's that's the difference from what I've seen, what I've experienced to be like what, what can keep someone in the helping profession or burnout mm. completely. Mm. I mean, and I, I can speak pretty early on, thank God I, I became aware of this, where I didn't really want to do anything for other people. Mm. And I mean that in like the 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 sense that the only thing that I wanted to do was if I was doing something to attempt to mirror and reflect how the other person is fucking fine like okay as they are and which is an interesting paradox too with being in a helping profession or being in a way of like here the whole idea is David's work is very similar to the work that I do. It's like, we're going to talk and the idea is a result of us talking will somehow be beneficial or useful and at the very least, hopefully enjoyable to the rest of your life. And you know, it's like that last piece in joy, joy has been such a huge, like I found that a lot of the time it feels like, yeah, I have lots of different skills and things to go into, but it's just a really good time sitting and being with someone and the, the example that I wanted to bring up was 
this was like four years ago, someone came to work with me. I'd be surprised if I ever told you the story. And I asked her, I said, well, uh, why did you decide to work with me? And, uh, this was when we first began working together. She said, I saw a YouTube video that you made about how no one needs coaching. Cause I was just fed up. I was deeply identified in this, like, and, and resentful too. There was resentment of, I felt conned into needing something that I didn't actually need. Mm. And I didn't like that sort of feeling or that whole narrative that I had around it. So I made a video about as ironic and good advertisement, right? <laughs> about how no one needs it. And this client really resonated with that. And I think around that time, I was really resonating with Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I haven't read it. Haven't oh read my it. God. It's good. Yes, it's incredible. I, I haven't read it for four years and I'm just now returning to the audible version of it, which it's the audible. It's one of those books that are really nice to listen to. Oh, okay. Dude, such a refreshing, it's like a refreshing uh, way of dropping all the neurotic, improving and just being really cool, letting your belly hang out enjoy life as it is because it's you know equanimity right that's what the whole thing so many conversations that we at david and i have come back to like oh the fucking middle path mm -hmm. oh wow mm -hmm. okay that's right between these two extremes or yeah extremities that we're talking mm -hmm. about between neurotically obsessing over your shadow work and doing all of your spiritual stuff all the time uh -huh. or totally tuning out and I guess not giving a fuck in a different way. Like yeah. Not giving a fuck and like not recognizing all the ways that you're causing suffering and harm to yourself and others. Yeah. Well, he actually talks about this. He, he the metaphor he gives, he's like, you only have so many fucks to give and you mm -hmm. better give a fuck about the right things instead of all the wrong things that everyone's giving a fuck about. That, and that's why I call it the subtle art. Right. of not giving a fuck. I have limited, limited quantity that's of exactly fucks. exactly what he says. Yeah. He's like, you have a limited quantity of fucks to give, so make sure that they're given to the good stuff. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So she's working with me, and then we, we go through a whole three-month transformational work together, and by the end of it, she's like, you know, I, I feel like graduated, or she said, I feel like I'm an adult now. Like I'm an adult and I'm, I'm now kind of like going off on my own. But then she also said something really interesting when I was talking to her. She said, you know, I did all of this work. We did all of this work. And now I feel ready to like go out on my own. And I realized I didn't need any of it. Hmm. At all. And I just smiled at her and I said, you remember why you hired me, right? <laughs> it, was, it was like the perfect moment of like onboarding and outboarding where it's like delivery of nothing that they realize they didn't really need because that's the i mean that's all i want to be for people it's just like remember you got it <laughs> remember it's you <laughs> yeah and it, and it sounds like um she had a, a positive experience of realizing that she didn't need any of that mm -hmm. so i didn't need any of that and i still found it valuable and enjoyable. I'm yeah, glad I, I so. did it. She didn't ask for a refund, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, she had a really, a really valuable, transformative. I, I may have been 
No, I think she went on to work with a couple of other coaches, but it was it wasn't from a need place, and that was the big mm-hmm. the big uh, I think one of the big insights for her. That's it's an interesting interesting area to explore. Like this is this is an area I've been exploring around. Um, what what do I feel like a um, what kind of partnership do I want to be in? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it can feel scary, but it's like actually the kind of partnership I want to be in. I want to be in a partnership where we don't need each other mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. That we're not together because we need each other. Mm-hmm. We're together because we choose to be together. We enjoy being together. That there's no there's no need. That there's no I'm not whole without you. Like this thing is like I couldn't do this without you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can we come together from that place of like, no, this isn't this isn't a need. This is a joyful exploration, co-creation mm-hmm. that we're that we're going on this adventure together, not because we need to, but because we choose to and we want to. Mm-hmm. And that that just has such a different different energy. I wonder if that's kind of also maybe what she was experiencing. That she's like, oh, I didn't need that coaching, but damn, it was good. Yeah, you don't need it, but you might want it. I think I said that in that video too. It's like you don't need it, but you might want it. And th- and then what's more fulfilling when you engage with something, not because you feel like you need it. I mean, this might even have to do with the self-regulating fight or flight. Like I don't want someone to make a decision coming from fight or flight mm. to to do something. Like that doesn't seem like a good place to start out with. And David said it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> there's christopher pimping me out on this podcast <laughs> so the ways you can contact him i'm just kidding maybe not yeah i hear you, I hear you. and and it's also like you know I, I can feel that there's there's a certain level of fearfulness in imagining being in a partnership where my partner doesn't need me Mm. certain levels of oh god mm-hmm. like, is it is it safe yeah i've you know so often found safety and partnership through oh i'm safe because they need me uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, i'm i'm not worried about this partnership because they need me they, mm-hmm. they can do without me it's like oh wow no they're they're whole and perfect and complete on their own they don't need me to fix them they don't need me to yeah. help them they don't need me to save them we're choosing to be together. Do they need you to not need them? <laughs> That's, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but with Slotka and I, that was, I was in a, I was very needy before the, that relationship. And I felt like, I didn't feel like I needed it at the beginning, but when I didn't have it, it felt like I needed it. And once I finally, we were talking about that earlier, uh, my previous relationship, once I finally, actually, once I finally really remove myself emotionally and got onto doing stuff for me that I wanted to do anyway, a, a lot to do with my career and the spiritual psychology program that I got involved with. I had the craziest 
post-tantric realization, which was, oh my God, I have infinite, like there was this distinct feeling of, and I still feel this way. And I imagine Sadhka does too. I have infinite twin flames. Mm. You know, people will say like, I don't, I don't believe that like twin flame is the, there's only one. Actually, Zach and I were talking about, we were listening to a relationship podcast called Becoming the One or something. It was cheesy and I couldn't take it, but for the 10 minutes we listened to it, <laughs> what I derived value from it was the scarcity mindset around romantic relationships that people don't even recognize they're setting themselves up for when they're looking for the one. Mm. And that's why it's called Becoming the one mm. because it's then perpetuating scarcity around uh and some people might hear this and be like well scarcity wouldn't mean there is only what it's trying to say is at least to me it's trying to say you have unlimited potential partnerships and that's never going to be from the ultimate perspective that's never going to be an issue mm-hmm. and you will always have because it comes from the opposite of, oh, no, no one's going to love me. I'll not have anyone and I'll be fucking forever alone. And I think the opposite of this is saying, no, it's actually an exceeding and infinite abundance. And what I'm saying is when I tapped into that, hmm. I felt like I had many, not, not like I was talking to seven different females, maybe four. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, that's when Zaka came into my life. And it really felt like, and in that way, intimately, and she was having a similar experience that there's not a shortage of that. There's, and nor do we need each other. It's like, oh, wow, this is really, and from a even more interesting spiritual perspective that we both share, which I've shared with you many times, we're both recognizing there's work that we need to do. This is where I almost put my foot in my mouth just now. There's work that we need to do interpersonally and we're going to be doing that with someone and we're consciously making the decision yeah let's do this with each other we don't need to make that decision but we both know that individually we need to do that work and we're both acting as this incredible feedback mechanism constantly and we're saying yes to that and we have talked at length how to skillfully do that because it's not fucking easy. <laughs> no, really, really not easy. Possibly the hardest thing to do. Yoga of relationship. Yes. Yeah. Taking the path of relating to others as the uh, as the process of growth and evolution and self discovery and refinement. Why do you think they say, because I've heard this too, I think it was from Ram Das. I yeah. heard that, right? You too? Yeah. Why do you think that is that they say, and I want to preface my question with why, because it seems like that pretty much the whole world, whether they know it or not, mm. are on that path, mm. choosing the hardest path. Mm. In, I mean, in my experience, it feels like the most accelerated path. Uh huh. Yeah, I agree. I think so too. That there's just like there's so much catalyst. There's so much content. There's so much. It brings up our stuff so hot and heavy um, that it is you know both the most challenging and potentially the most rewarding, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and also the hardest um, 
because sometimes it comes up faster than we're really available to to process. Um, mm -hmm. And also, you know, as compared to a more solitary path, it's very clear to me if I'm on my own that whatever of my stuff is coming up is mine. Mm -hmm. Whereas it can get a little tricky in a relationship uh, when we start pointing fingers and saying like, oh, like I'm triggered, but it's your fault. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's like ways to escape from doing the work. So even though it's bringing everything up, maybe we're, we're really kind of blaming it on each other mm. and not taking personal responsibility for like, oh, actually it's all mine. Uh, and it's, it's my work to do moving through my, my patterns, my, my shadow stuff, my triggers. It's all mine and it's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. It's, it's all ours together. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that I'm actually able to do anything about is what's mine. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, it's kind of fundamentally the most empowering perspective to take, to say, it's all my responsibility. Everything that I'm experiencing yeah. is my responsibility. I have the power to affect, change, steer, navigate in every situation. In my life. Uh -huh. Even if it comes down to, you know, like, like Victor Frankl's, I have the power to choose my attitude uh -huh. in whichever situation I'm in. No one can ever take away my power to choose the attitude that I bring to mm -hmm. the situation that I'm in, even if it's being imprisoned in a concentration camp. That's actually, that, that book is referring to Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Victor Frankl. That, I read that when I was 16, and that's what inspired me to just find meaningful, meaningful mm. work in a professional way it feels it feels very much so like one of the things that i look back and feel like it was deeply influential to getting into this kind of work the other thing that struck me when you were just speaking which i've been wanting to ask you about this for some time so what better time than right now when i hear you speak I wonder how informed how you speak is by the, your meditation practice, if you're aware of that, and to ask that in another way or to give you some background information on it. I'm inspired by when you speak because to me it's very coherent, uh, thoughtful, even as right now I'm thinking about how you speak, I feel that it's helping me speak in that way. I need you to regulate how I speak. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, sincerely, actually, because I've talked to Slavka about this, and we've both given each other feedback after being with you that like sometimes we seem to be very excited when we speak, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's caffeine. And we spend a lot of time with each other. So I'm sure we're influencing how we speak with 
others based on how we speak with each other. But I recognize, because I'm sitting here recognizing this, like what I kind of experienced as a through line mm. to when you're speaking. And I don't, sometimes I feel self-conscious actually when I speak to you, not just you, but particularly more with you because there is such a kind of a coherent through line in how you're speaking and I wonder if you've noticed that too with me too how sometimes I'll I'll go off on one tangent but it somehow feels important to one thing but sometimes it feels as though I can't even finish a sentence without some other thought coming up that I want to bring into the conversation hmm. yes yeah, so i think i think the initial question you asked me was um you know do i feel like my meditation practice has uh, influenced my capacity for yes community or like my my way of communicating uh -huh. um i haven't thought about it specifically but i feel like it must have uh -huh. because it's that it's like a very meditative space that I feel like I enter into through conversation. Yeah. And sometimes actually much more easily through conversation uh -huh. versus in meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, because there's something about like really present, curious listening that shuts down my monkey mind mm -hmm. and allows space for there to be stillness in myself. So I, I feel that I can find levels of like peace and calm and alignment and equanimity in conversation much more easily actually even than in meditation, mm. which is another reason why I'm so stoked that I'm stepping into coaching. Yeah. That basically means that my, my job is gonna to be to do the thing that makes me feel the greatest. Wow. having yeah. awesome conversations um but i yeah I, I don't know if i can link it exclusively back to the meditation i don't know where it came from have you always sort of been that way i i feel like it's always been yeah some some level of, of for a long time at least had some level of natural talent around communication and I, I often find like I really like playing this um, this kind of sounding board as well, of someone exploring a concept or idea or insight or realization that maybe feels a little scattered and tangential and messy. And I really love like hearing the meaning or the insight behind what they're trying to express, but they're having a hard time expressing. No wonder you like talking to me. <laughs> and then reflecting back to them, this like really concise thing is like, is it this? And I uh, go, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that okay. just feels so good, like like finding clarity together. Um, and yeah, and it's also interesting that you bring up, uh, you know, you and Zlatka and your communication styles. I had a conversation with Zlatka about this as well. Mm -hmm. We were walking together uh, some months ago. And she was like asking me for reflection around her mm -hmm. communication. And it was kind of this idea of the central thread mm -hmm. of that. It's like, you know, it's awesome to go on tangents. Yeah. 
but to come back to the central thread. Right, right. Um, and that, you know, I notice that sometimes there's a tendency to, like, there's a central thread and then there's a tangent, but then we go off on the tangent. The fucking tangent has a tangent. And the tangent has a tangent. And, uh, you know, like, I'm kind of like categorizing and indexing. It's like, wait, hold on, we had a thread here and we had a thread uh, here and we had a thread here and we had a thread here. And now we're all the way over here and we never tied off any of those threads. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm constantly, and I've been doing it a bit longer than she has with, with work like this, but I'm constantly thinking in that way in mm. conversations that I have because of coaching and because of like, okay, like I want to sort of, and not to get too analytical about it, but also to recognize we started here, mm. now we're here. Mm. And to, you know, this is not a video podcast because you can't see which pointing in different directions. And it seems there's something important about like, okay, what, why did, how did we wind up over here when we started with this? Or how are those things related? Even if they are related and why, why did, why would, why did they feel important? Because sometimes they do, and maybe we don't know why. I know for me, that's a lot of, sometimes the reason why I'll go off or I'll just know that I forgot. It seems like this sort of like, I'll forget a detail Mm -hmm. when I'm sharing a story with you. And then I'm like, oh, I'm about to get to a punchline, but hold in a second, David, here's an important detail to that, to build up to the thing that I'm about to share. Right. So when you're speaking, again, those of you are, are not gonna be able to see what I'm doing, but I'm drawing sort of like a wavy line from me to David. And I feel like that's sort of how it is with you. When you speak, it's sort of this wavy line and the waves are representing addressing probably what when I was speaking, it was more like sort of jagged, maybe there's a little shape here and then really get back there most of the time. And then I kind of feel like you're, so you know what I, like I can tell you feel what I mean. There's this uh, through line it feels in the way that you communicate. And it's really inspiring. Thanks for saying that, man. Yeah. Feels great to receive. It's not just because he's on my podcast <laughs> that I'm saying this. He's probably got a wait list for his, his, one-on-one work and group work. I don't know how that works, but again, in the description, you'll be able to find how to get some of the David magic <laughs> conversations going. Yeah, it's, it's it's something that I deeply love. So super stoked to uh, to speak to more people and have more more powerful, awesome conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I feel like it is also one of the great utilities of having a conversation though especially intentional conscious conversation especially maybe like a coaching conversation where like especially in that coaching conversation maybe part of the coach's role is to hold the central thread to allow the client to explore their tangents Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and explore details that may or may not be relevant but they're just feeling intuitively called to explore and then the coach keeps on taking these other pieces and tying them back in to the central tapestry of this story that we're exploring together. And, you know, it's the coach who's holding that central thread of like, okay, like we started talking about, you know, bomb died, mm-hmm. but we went in all of these other areas but the conversation is about bomb died. So how do all of these other things relate and tie in to the loss of mom? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, maybe that person doesn't have capacity on their own. Like they get lost in the tangent. 
is that we need the, the space of that conversation and the support of somebody occupying that more stable, focused role that is, is really looking to you know, kind of weave this tapestry together. Mm -hmm. And you know, I feel like we can do that with ourselves is also we can cultivate that practice of, of tying things back in. But you know, I don't feel like it's necessary that everyone communicates perfectly all the time. Yeah, no, I don't know. It can be really awesome yeah. to explore tangents. Absolutely. I, that, so, something that I uh, thought about when you were just speaking was how I was just recently reflecting on this. When I'm having a conversation with someone, work related, like coaching or uh, a, a conversation where there's, I'm being paid mm. to, to speak with the person. I'm often reminding myself and not to, if it's someone that I'm just connecting with that might be interested or even more generally to in conversations, just usually from a way of being, if I'm being available to it, I think about, especially if I find that I'm starting to grow impatient or maybe I'm starting to check out, there's a line of discernment where sometimes I will kind of step in and say something or try and redirect and I'll speak to that we've talked about this I think before where I'll say, Hey, I'm noticing that I'm getting distracted and I feel that maybe you're not addressing the heart of the matter on this, or maybe there's a deeper way to something like that. Mm. Uh, I won't be that direct normally as I just was just giving an example. But then on the other side of the coin, I think like, this is what I do. And I have this conversation. This is, I'm on the side of having conversations similar to this very, very like often. What I do is, and I enjoy it even with my friends like you and many others. But the person that I'm speaking with is coming from a completely different world, and I don't know if even even if I can't make sense why they're telling me this story about something else where I'm recognizing like, oh man, I'm feeling like a little burnt out from this or whatever it is. I might be the only person that they're ever sharing stuff like anything like that with, and so I recognize. Thank God, fortunately, I recognize the importance of really being there with them when they're sharing me something that may never get shared with humanity, period. And what I mean by that, it might just get, they might never express that to someone. So it's important to, to your point, uh, tangents, nor do I expect other people to communicate the way that I communicate as well. Yeah, it, it feels like one of the core healing abilities of the coaching relationship to simply have someone who is wholly, curiously, compassionately present with you as you're speaking and sharing about whatever it is, for someone to feel deeply listened to, deeply heard, deeply understood, deeply cared for, even if they just went off in every which direction. Um, there's, there's a healing quality simply to, to being fully accepted in that exploration of their mental content. And yeah, maybe it all came out in this disorganized jumble. Um, and yeah, maybe in continuing working together we can we can try to make sense out of this landscape but 
it's almost like somebody, you know, it's, it's almost like starting a puzzle with somebody and you open the puzzle box and you just dump all the pieces onto the, onto the table. And it's just like this jumble of pieces. It's like, wow, that's a lot of pieces. How do these all fit together? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a, it came in the box. This is the puzzle set. It came in this person. You know, it's, it's all their puzzle pieces. They must yeah. fit together somehow. Um, and so, okay, now we've got a pile of pieces. Let's start, let's start looking at them and, and see how they fit together. And, you know, maybe you, you go for the edge pieces first. You know, how can we create the border around this puzzle? Because it's like easy to ec- recognize the edge pieces. And then that gives mm-hmm. you some context to start working into the middle of this tapestry, this puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe in a similar way with a, in a coaching relationship, that maybe a whole session is just like dumping out all the pieces of the puzzle box. And then, you know, the, the role of the coach is to kind of like hold to drop some of their own level of meditation and judgment and boredom, or whatever, and just receive all the puzzle pieces mm-hmm. and allow their intuition to start assembling these. And, you know, there's sparks of curiosity that says, wait, hold on. This thing that you said today sounds a whole lot like this other thing that you said mm-hmm. in our session two weeks ago. And I'm wondering how these things are connected. And it's starting to make, you know, draw those connections. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm see how the whole thing fits together oh god all right we have to get out the metaphorical whiteboard and i'm pulling out the metaphor metaphorical whiteboard so i have a pen and paper to write this down and there are three points that i want us to address uh-huh. based on what you just said because you just like had an explosion of <laughs> inspiration inspired kind of things to talk about one so i'm speaking this out loud so you can help me remember that's that's why i'll hold the thread Okay, I'll, I'll try Thank to. You. Okay, I'll try to. Because, yeah, who knows how many, the problem is there's three here, and then who knows how many threads on one of these three threads. One is the coaching relationship, which you touched on to some extent there. The second one is bringing, bringing it back to uh, this kind of non dual emotional example that I started the conversation with with my mm. client yesterday. And Third one will come back to me once I dive into the first two. Okay. <laughs> Keep the third one. Um, so I was actually a little nervous to share with you at, at the beginning the, this piece around this non-dual feeling mm-hmm. the emotion thing. And the reason why was because I recognized and like, well, we didn't really, there was no clear outcome or like place that her and I came to. It's not like that exercise was like, Oh, I'm good. That's it. Like that's, but then I said, no, no, no. I want to, I still want to share it because I think that's crucial to what it is I'm sharing. Uh, I remember the third one. Well, no, I'm, I'm not sure if I remember the third one, which is, which is, I don't have the answer. And this goes bleeds into the coaching relationship that I'm. I think there's so many misconceptions about what coaching, in the way that we're talking about coaching, is. And and there's actually beauty in the sense that in this conversation between her and I, when we were looking at this particular piece of the puzzle, which the puzzle will call her life, this piece of the puzzle, it's not like 
it's not even like we put put it together necessarily, but there was there was uh, resonance and like growth and something to work with on the emotional level, mm. on the personal level, the level of the, the passing of her mom on the bigger level. There was, there's like something that's like, oh yeah, that's a nice thing that happened there. And that's why I want to share it, even though there's not a clear, like, and here's the outcome or the result that she achieved from it. No. And I didn't even, I didn't offer a directive. We just kind of had that dialogue there and it felt really special and resonant. And that brings me to the first point, which is, and you could let me know if it's the same for you. When it comes to coaching, I'm not giving someone answers. I'm not, I'm just listening, asking questions. And then asking a question, maybe if I feel that it's appropriate, like, so do you want to know or talk about some ways of exploring this or moving this forward, Mm -hmm. which is still a permission question of then seeing, then I might, I might make a suggestion Mm -hmm. if it feels necessary and appropriate but the bulk of it is listening and asking questions and reflecting yeah absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely that is that is uh, completely what it is for me as well it, it feels like it is a it, it's a conversation with someone aimed at revealing their own personal, unique inner wisdom that they actually have all of the answers that are most appropriate to navigating their own experience. And it can just be really helpful to have the container of a conversation and somebody who's really deeply listening to them to help to ask them the questions that point them back to their own inner wisdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because even if I have experienced if I have had an experience that looks almost identical to what they're going through and and there's a big temptation, right? That I'm going to share with them my experience and say, this is what I did. So this is what you should do. The truth is, is that I can't possibly in the space of a hour long conversation, receive enough information about their life to be able to clearly make a, a good call on what they should do. Whereas they have all of the information for their life. They're experiencing it real time, 24 hours a day. And so they are the best person to be able to make a good call about what is the most appropriate thing to do or area to explore or conversation to have or whatever in their own life. And so that's why I'm asking them questions rather than telling them, like I'm asking them questions rather than giving them answers. Thank you, because you reminded me of my third bullet point Wicked. as you were speaking. And we will probably wrap up soon on, on this note. Uh, who knows, unless we go off into another something from this. This is why I've given myself the impossible, impossible task of Living Truth 2.0. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm basically, well, I'm almost always when I'm talking about these things, trying to talk about something that's beyond definition or word. Mm. And yet, and it's selfish. It's selfish because I have this idea that, yeah, there's still, um, I'm an ever integrating, ever individuating being. And parts of me is like, I think, I, I think I've 
earned or learned or, or recognized something really, really valuable. And I wanted my mind, my heart, like Zlatka has asked me about this. She's like, um, like why, why, am, why do I share? Why do I look so much into like the spiritual non-dual thing? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just, I'm whole. I'm just obsessive, like very much so. And I feel that's like, um, I mean, I can call it nature or God or a daemon so to speak of this thing that's just like i'm being pulled and look 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 at my if, if you could all see me right now <laughs> i have one hand in the air and one hand on my throat which to me really feels like this is an interesting yeah. interesting it's like i have a, a throat in this hand or something uh or, or i know it feels like channeling maybe like calling out to the formlessness to try and formulate it and, and bring it out and i'm not choking channel, myself channel like, it through this energy center yeah. of the throat yes into exactly and and there there seems to be something valuable there seems to be something resonant there seems to be a, a lightness i think it's it helps me combine like uh for example an open bike night last night and here here's where you all get to see one of these jagged tangents but it will all be perfectly succinct i promise if I, if someone gives me the, the option, like you're about to speak in front of a bunch of people, serious or funny, serious or funny. I just go serious, funny. <laughs> it's going to be both. I'm doing both. It's got to be deep and profound and we have to be able to laugh about it. Yep. And, and there's something, I mean, I think that's why I like Ram Dass, who are, there's a picture of Ram Dass just over uh, the, the awesome view that I have right now of David Terrence McKenna, Ram Dass and the epic Hanuman. And of course, Epic David right in front of me. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm being I'm being pulled, and I feel like a fool. I feel like an absolute fool sometimes when I listen to myself or I watch something. I'm like, what are you saying, dude? Like, because it is impossible to say. And there's an an obsession, mm. a deep love, a deep deep love devotion for wanting to share that because it feels like I can only be benefited. I really, I really feel that as long as I'm being like artful and I'm not dropping like non-dual bombs on just like in person. It's not like if you see one of a YouTube short that comes up potentially, but it's like it's curated and it's I don't expect so living truth, it's it's about a three hours of a group program. It'll probably end up being five hours or six hours because I'll stay a little later on the Zooms. But the 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 kind of call that I'm calling upon myself is pointing to the paradox, paradoxical nature that we are already all free and liberated. And anyone that says that they as a singular being are enlightened, it's nonsense because, and, and then describing the nuances as to why that would even be the case. So hmm. combining the intellect, combining the emotion and combining right where the person is at to work with this stuff in a way that actually makes sense for them, which by the way, in non-duality for me, it includes psychological integration. It includes exposure therapy. It includes, it's sort of an umbrella where it's like, yeah, everything fits. Otherwise it would be non-duality. It would be something else. Like look at the word, you know? Right. It's all, it's all inclusive. It's all yeah. fucking inclusive. No, no separation. Yeah. And, and so I'm giving myself this, I'm jokingly saying this impossible task of, I don't expect that there's a, there's 11 seats available and it's rolling. Uh, it's a rolling 
rolling enrollment that like there's no way I can have one-on-one conversations. I'm, I'm tying this back to what you were just saying about mm. like not knowing enough. I can have general concepts and general things that, that can fit and kind of plug and play, but it's not like I can talk to, I mean, just numbers wise and time wise, 11 people, four hours, five hours, it's not going to happen. But what can happen is I can have a really beautiful, present, raw, authentic conversation with one person at a time mm-hmm. in that with everybody else present. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, that can be kind of mm-hmm. mirrored or everyone mm-hmm. in their own way can be seeing how, ah, this is, this applies to me, or it is just that again, it's just this, this one moment, this one conversation, this one. And so The other piece that I wanted to ask you about, because I was stumbling over my words making a, a 10 minute video about this the other day, about this relationship to, if I, if I didn't feel this relationship, I probably wouldn't be doing this and I probably wouldn't be doing all the different kind of work that I'm doing. I have a, an idea that there is a relationship with intention an outcome and it sounds so so um, simplistic and it actually is but i find so much so especially with non-duality where it can sometimes go into people saying oh that's nihilism or oh, that's solipsism or like nothing mm-hmm. matters and it's all already that or you know you can't do anything to get there so i'm gonna not do anything to get there but mm-hmm. I, I find so often that that's being said with uh, resentment or uh, uh, denied depression, numbness, like we talked about, and it's justified to just live life in a really careless way. Like I, I, I've heard so many people go, oh, I get it. You know, you're saying it's all an illusion. And I'm like, yeah, and it's all real. Like it's all real in every thought, every, every single moment, deeply. Like if you're going to try and make nice. the claim that it's all an illusion from that same place. I could tell you, not that you want to hear it, but I could tell that person how if they were actually genuinely making that claim, they're making it from a place to decide that from. Is that an illusion? Is that a, is that place where they're making it from an illusion? They wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to say that the equal and opposite isn't true. There would be no, I, I don't see any plausible steel man argument where I'd be able to say, okay, well, so then if I told you that everything mattered and it's all real, that can fit the same way that you're looking at the world and saying it's all an illusion. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's a cop out, but it's also what people say when they get into a deep depression and, and to appropriate mm-hmm. these things that we've, we've talked about before. You don't hear a lot of people having an awesome time and being like, that's ah, all. It's all an illusion. It's all illusion. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, yeah, it's that's a great really good point. Like, oh, but it doesn't matter. It's right. all yeah. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. And so, and so these are the things that I feel like I almost feel like I need to protect. Yeah, I feel like I need to protect and really share like what this actually is because I feel mm-hmm. that it is increasingly become misappropriated, misused. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And, and I even have to watch out more for myself. So I'm like, all right, bro. And I've talked to you about this many times. It's like, well, where am I doing this? Where am I? maybe dissociating where am i using this to push my ego's own agenda and all right all of this to to say i have 
found and it could be that thing where because you're looking for it you're just finding it maybe maybe it is maybe that doesn't matter a relationship between even though ultimately let's say meditating for freedom praying for freedom doing doonies doing fire all of that is useless because we already are free it's still incredibly there, there seems to be a relationship with all the people that I've interacted with around, huh, okay, the people that are seeking happiness, peace in their life, and being like that being the most important thing. It seems that they've done certain things in a certain way where other people aren't doing those things in a certain way, whether that's a conversation meditation the clear prayerful intention and this is a, it's a paradox that I'm, i myself struggle with in, in talking about i'm wondering if you can offer any kind of insight or what you what you think about what i'm putting forth and if what i'm putting forth is making sense yeah so what i'm hearing you asking about is this seeming paradox between this kind of inherent buddha nature this inherent true nature true self um, formless perfection that we all are, and this um, progressive path of purification or integration or healing or like all of the stuff that we do that is maybe oriented towards in some systems trying to attain enlightenment or maybe in other systems uh, embodying or aligning oneself with one's true nature and exploring that kind of apparent paradox and, and is that kind of what you're asking around yes let me elaborate mm -hmm. when i was speaking to anna brown on this podcast on unspeakable bliss she was reflecting that she has no way of uh she's like for you it's sitting meditating mm -hmm. And, and I can see where she's saying, and it, it's coming from the same place as to why you can't give a prescription to someone after an hour and a half of sitting with them. Yeah. And what she's getting at and what I'm getting at too, because I have all these experiences where I've, I'm now radically different than lots of other people as, as far as maybe mindfulness or spiritual stuff goes. For sure, than yourself before you did that thing. You definitely know that you're different than before you did that thing. Exactly, exactly. And so it's 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 related also to the just this experience where that's evident to you and it's evident to me and it's hard to establish on one hand it's easy to establish yes people that have the intentions around these things do certain things and those things typically achieve certain outcomes. Mm. And on the other hand, it's hard to say that because I don't know. Because <laughs> I don't know, and it's a mystery. And, mm. and, it, and it happens in different ways for people, like different sorts of psychological integration or a higher understanding or a realization. And so the, the thing that I'm exploring is 
my intuition really is more weighted on weighted on it matters I think that might even be what I'm sharing with you for the most part the journey that I have walked has influenced the outcomes that I've achieved on the journey that I've walked and had I not walked that journey and taken those steps even if even if back then someone could say oh you're you're already free even even now I'm like yeah and still got to do this work I this still it doesn't feel like a choice and the intention is peace and liberation for all beings and it seems helpful to have that intention right that's what i'm that's what i'm ultimately getting at it's like that is supportive to getting closer or progressing to that reality even if it already is the reality because right this is the kind of paradox yeah that 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 intention awareness exploration journey that thing so this is this is one of the I, I heard this spoken recently probably in my training maybe somewhere else that uh, they were really sh they were giving preference to the terminology realization instead of enlightenment mm -hmm. because there's all of this uh, baggage around a light enlightenment being something that you attain mm -hmm. whereas a realization is like more of a recognition of something that is you don't get it you just realize that it's just like oh all of a sudden i realized that this thing that had already been happening all along it dawns on you but it's not like something that you get mm -hmm. and so but until you have the realization you don't have the realization even though it maybe had always been there right you need to realize it in order for that to be like a working part of your experience mm -hmm. so maybe you know in your pathway uh you're finding that like intention and and exploration and curiosity and, and commitment and work and diligence and practice and all of these things are increasing the likelihood of certain realizations occur and even though maybe you have a realization and you look back and you say, oh, it was always yeah, like this. Yeah, yeah. This isn't a new thing. I realize that I've always been this or you know, whatever that level of realization is. Like, I feel like there are different you know, mm -hmm. flavors and shapes these things can take. Even if you look back and said, I was always this. I didn't have to do any of that stuff mm -hmm. to get here. But it seems like I had to do some of that stuff to realize right. that I've always been this. It's spot on to the 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 only evidence then that would be needed is while we're sitting here talking about it, or we're sitting here focusing on this, or there's some like someone watched that video or someone met you and like. Mm -hmm. What's the evidence that we need to see that this is the case? Mm -hmm. 
out of all of the different things that we could be doing or exploring, it's this. And I don't even mean meta that uh, like it just it's what's in front of us. And so, well, maybe maybe there's a reason for that. Does it make sense? Uh, I, I think I lost you in the meta of this. Okay, I was saying like this can be applied to not only conversations of realization uh, about this, but about anything that someone's engaging in. Yeah. The evidence being uh, that this is what we're engaging in. Yep. And so, what? Look no further than our current current experience. Yeah, that, that's what it comes back to for me is that like experience is the like kind of the the gold standard catalyst of realization. Uh -huh. And that um like like you can be handed spiritual truths all day long. Uh -huh. And in our day and age where these things are openly shared, like proliferated on the internet, yeah. we are handed spiritual truths all day long many of which were in their original tradition held secret and only revealed to a student at the appropriate time. Yeah. Asi, you're it. Uh, you know, thou art that. It's non-dual. It was a high teaching. Yeah. It was not, it was not just shared openly. Um, and, and so we can we can encounter the highest teachings, the previously most secret teachings of these deep spiritual traditions. But if we don't have the experience of it, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it doesn't catalyze the realization just by hearing the teaching. You have to have it actually the experience of, oh fuck, there's not two, thou art that, I'm it, it's all just this. And, and if you don't have the experience, then it doesn't mean anything. Even if mentally you understand the philosophy, even if mentally you agree with the philosophy, even if mentally you learn how to espouse the philosophy and argue with other people who have alternative philosophies, you can do all of that without having the experiential realization and it can all be basically meaningless. And it ties all the way back into the coaching conversation. I can't hand you a realization. Yeah. Even if I see very clearly what your pattern is and I can tell you and describe to you exactly what it is and tell you exactly what you should do about it, even if I do that and I'm perfectly right, it's not going to work because you have to arrive at that realization of your own patterning and decide what to do about it and navigate your own experience on your own, not on your own, like you know, you can right, support right, right. but you have to live it. You have to experience it to have a realization that's able to transform you as a being. Fuck. <laughs> that's like right I, i'm just gonna take the like two minutes of the last audio and i could oh my god man i mean it, it, this is also why tell me if this is accurate for you which is fucking pointless when i ask the question that i'm asking <laughs> is why another teacher like i asked shinya morty and it's like i did had a throat dose of mushrooms and i'm pretty sure it's what you're talking about and he he basically said that it could only be like an intimation or uh, like not no, not no, but it would, it would be like a represented kind of 
an image of the divine, we mm. can say, but not the real deal. Something like that. I don't want to directly quote him, but that was that was sort of quoted on the internet somewhere. And I realized something that I, I think I realized with him, as well as another Paramahansa uh, Prajnananda, the living one of the living teachers of Kriya Yoga, and person in in chair of someone that maybe I was giving too much weight to of mm. knowing an answer comes and tells me the absolute opposite of what my direct experience tells me mm. and in that moment i'm able to go inside you don't know what my truth is and my truth is not what the other individual is telling me and in that in that beautiful paradoxical way I feel that the guru or the teacher was playing, he was perfectly playing his part to get me to trust my own experience. I just got chills. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it draws back to this. I don't know if you're also thinking of this amazing Alan Watts description of the role of the guru, which is to basically try to trick you into thinking that you don't have all of the answers and that you need something external to yourself to uh -huh. direct you in your path. And the role is to keep on tricking you into that until you can't be tricked anymore. And you're so fundamentally sovereign and authentic and embodied in the path of your own inner wisdom mm -hmm. that you are always taking the gold standard of your own experience, your own path, your own intuition, your own inner guru. Mm. Um, and no longer giving away your sense-making capacity or, or truth-telling capacity to external authorities. Mm. And it was totally my experience with the spiritual teacher that I was involved with in India. Mm -hmm. that the, the most beautiful thing that I got out of that whole experience was tuning back in to my sovereignty and trusting myself that I'm the one who has the most information for navigating this life. And I don't need to give away my sense-making capacity, give away my choice-making capacity to an external authority. Isn't it awesome? I find it so awesome. Maybe the situation with the spiritual teacher that you're talking about is somewhat different, but I find it so cool to look at these beings that I do hold in esteem and reverence and like they know a thing or two and I've learned a thing or two and then to come to a realization where there's like one thing and I go but I know that but you don't know that and to really be in not like I'm not convincing myself of that when I'm saying it I'm just like oh interesting hmm I know that's not what's happening here or that that is what it's the opposite of what is being kind of said and it's to point to this function that you're talking about, which is you're it. Which the ultimate thing, this could be a good place to kind of wrap up here, is another thing where right discernment, I think, becomes so important because I think the ego can grab a hold of that. Oh, yeah. And to say, I'm not listening to anyone. Now I'm the guru. Now this, now that. <laughs> Yeah. 
it feels it feels so important to simultaneously recognize that I have I have the truth in me that is the most powerful source of truth for me this seeming individuation as I walk through this life and also I can't see everything and I have blind spots and I have shadow stuff and I have patterns and so it's really important for me to make the, the best and most skillful use of all of the mirrors that I'm provided with in my life, mostly through my relationships to others, especially the people that I feel deeply connected to and a deep sense of trust. That if a dear brother comes to me and says, hey man, I noticed the other night that when you were whatever, that this thing, and I don't know, but it just felt a little off to me, um, just wanted to mention that to you, mm -hmm. and, you know, hey man, if it's not yours, no worries, but you know, I just, I, I care about you, and, and you know, I really, I really want us to hold ourselves to this highest integrity and help each other grow, then it's, it's my responsibility to say, wow, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to take the time to reflect on that and, and, you know, run it through my own highest truth and do my best to really like, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt and check and see for myself, is that here? Is that possible that, you know, this shadow aspect or pattern that they're, that they feel like they saw that might really be, um, I, I need to check it for myself and see, maybe I'm going to find that, oh no, actually not. Maybe, maybe they misunderstood me or maybe they miss, uh, you know, misperceived what was going on. It could be that they have some level of patterning uh, and projection that was coloring the way they see me. Or maybe I'm going to be like, oh, wow, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I totally couldn't see that thing. I was, I was unaware of that pattern. Mm -hmm. And now I'm able to see it because of you. So it's not, I'm not giving away my, my sense-making or truth-telling capacity to this outside person. Just because they came and said this thing to me doesn't mean go, I go, oh, God. I don't know, but it must be because you said it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still running it through the filter of my own authenticity, my own truth. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not divorcing myself from reflections. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's when, you know, the, the spiritual teacher, the guru kind of starts to edge into the uh, kind of cult leader arena is when they divorce themselves from any mechanisms of reflection or checks and balances they, they believe that all of their shadow is processed that they're totally done totally complete totally perfect mm -hmm. and so they they start to believe that anything that anyone else reflects to them must be a projection mm -hmm. and so they stop taking those reflections and actually inquiring within to see is there anything there is it possible that i have some shadow pattern that came took control of what was going on which is another reason why in intimate relationship it can become so challenging mm -hmm. because we're not talking about a network of multiple different relationships it's one person that's probably continually noticing the same things in themselves and in you and then you doing the same thing back. And that's why it can be like 
takes ninja discernment to go, okay, what's going on here? It's, yes, it's so hard in a in a you know monogamous kind of uh, pair bonded semi uh, nuclear like you know like just two people living together. Yeah, right, and spending most of their time together, right, and right. being the primary reflections for one another. It's so hard to discern, you know, what what's real and what's projection. Mm. Is it, are you really seeing something in me or are you projecting your own version of reality onto me or some, and usually always some mixture of both. Right, right. Yeah. Whereas in the context of like, you know, imagine where relationships started, like in a tribal context. Yeah, you have this pair bonded relationship, but it's happening in the context of the tribe where mm -hmm. everybody knows everybody's shit. Mm -hmm. Everybody's watching everybody all the time. Right, right. And so you're not just gonna hear it from your partner. You're going to hear it from everybody else mm -hmm. and there's going to be like six people who probably watch you and your partner have an argument mm -hmm. and they're all going to be able to provide their reflections yeah and so then it's like oh god it's so much easier for that to be clear what's really going on mm -hmm. have you read any compelling literature videos or books on i don't even know if hunter gatherer would be the right word but on this kind of way of living and how it how i guess to start there but then also how it can be applied in our modern mm. no i i haven't i haven't read much about it i mean i've, I've heard some speak people speaking about it like primarily maybe uh daniel schmachtenberger jordan greenhall Jimmy Wheel, like some of these guys in the kind of like game B yeah. space of, you know, envisioning new mm -hmm. ways of relating and mm -hmm. redesigning society in a sustainable way. That, um, and, and they speak a lot about this kind of, you know, we, we evolved with the, the Dunbar number, is what, you know, Justice yeah, yeah. was speaking about earlier, that you know, this is like the maximum number of intimate personal relationships that I have the capacity to bandwidth to hold as an individual. I can only really have a deep relationship with like maximum 150 people. Yeah, which that seems like so many. It seems like a lot, which is like more like the minimum justice on and we were, we were all speaking earlier. It's like, yeah, once you start to cross, cross the 100 yeah. person threshold, right, right. you should really start to think about splitting mm -hmm. the tribe. Mm -hmm. um, but that that at, at that level, you don't need um, complicated systems of governance, and you don't need complicated systems of uh, like law enforcement and and judicial stuff, because the the function of those deeply intimate personal relationships, it's able to regulate all of that interpersonal stuff. Um, where, you know, if, if you have a, a bad argument with your partner or something, like something violent or aggressive or whatever, the tribe is going to regulate that. We don't need laws around it. Um, right. Or, or in, in terms of like governance, that actually those 150 people are all able to sit around the same campfire and all have a voice in mm -hmm. making a decision that affects everybody. Whereas when you expand beyond that number, it's not realistic for, you know, 1,500 people or 15,000 people to all sit around the same campfire and right. all have a voice in making a decision around what affects everybody. 
and so then you enter into spaces of like representative democracy and law enforcement. I took that kind of a different direction. I don't know if that's, that's what you're asking. Well, so side note, I am reading a book. It, it kind of lost my attention about probably maybe maybe I'm halfway through it, but it's really good. But I just started talking about like a particular thing that I wasn't interested in, so I stopped reading it. The Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century mm. by Brett Weinstein and his wife, Heather Conan Hines. I don't mm. know, I don't remember her last name, but he's they're friends with Daniel and they talk to him frequently. Awesome book, talk, touches a little bit on this stuff. Um, but the thing that I was thinking about the Dunbar number, I was taking inventory as you were speaking, and I was thinking, I'm I'm probably about like I would say maybe I'm in close, intimate, and that level of intimacy varies. Like the prob probably the, the top 15 are, I'm four times closer to the top 15 than the mm. bottom 10 or 20 that I would consider in this. But I would say like my circle is somewhere around 50 people, maybe, maybe 60 people, mm -hmm. something like that. And I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm pretty pretty social person with with by by the standards of those that are around me at least Zlatka is one to reflect me like how are you in deep relationship with so many people um and so it's not only a numbers thing I know it's not numbers because as I'm talking about it I'm recognizing the reason why there's not more one of the reasons is because of the level of depth that I am in with these 50 or 60 relationships. Mm -hmm. Whereas I can't even imagine, I can, I can imagine more, but what I'm, all of this to say, and I'm wondering what your feedback is. And if you feel like maybe you have a number of deep mm. relationships that you have, but I'm thinking that generally as a population, which it's kind of an insight to have this is, I bet people are way low on this. Like for sure, way low single digits low yeah as yeah. far as people who have deep intimate legit relationships yeah. and that's a big problem yeah i mean there's probably people who don't have any yeah yeah they right. just really really deep that. intimately connected especially you know post-covid world right where we were all trained to isolate for a while um yeah we're i feel like we're super disconnected these days, like there's there's a big uh, lack of inter interconnectedness and, and connection and community and uh, quality time with one another uh -huh. in our lives today. Yeah. And at the same time, I feel like for some of these functions to work, maybe it doesn't require this deep, intimate, like you know, vulnerable, safe connection. Yeah, but it yeah. just requires this like connection of like everybody knows everybody else's shit because uh -huh. um, like i'm thinking about in our community that there was an example um a few months back of it coming to light that someone who was providing the services of like a spiritual teacher had um, kind of engaged in some abusive practices yeah. with one of his students and it came to light and even this person's name wasn't mentioned in the way that it came to light. But this news spread through our community. Everybody became aware of it. And 
to me, it, at least in the space of our community, it seemed like that was um, enough regulation to protect our community from anybody else getting hurt in that same way. Mm -hmm. Because everybody became aware of it. And with everyone aware of it, nobody's going to that person for spiritual teaching mm -hmm. any longer. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we didn't have to get law enforcement or government governance or any of this other stuff engaged as a, as a function of harm reduction. Yeah. yeah. And so like, even though like, I don't have a deep relationship with that person, like not a lot of people have a deep relationship with that person, that fun that tribal function mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the, like the checks and balances of everybody knowing each other, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that regulatory function worked. Yeah. And I, I, with how we're all connected here, I, th I give big kudos to the different uh, platforms, Telegram, yeah. WhatsApp, Facebook, to some extent played in that, what you're particularly talking about, what I think that was a way that that helped that spread like wildfire around to everyone. Maybe it could have gotten around some other way, but that's how I learned about what you're talking about was yeah. through Facebook post. So, yeah. So thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are incredibly powerful tools. Yeah. They're being um, misused in many ways. Yeah. But they're incredibly powerful tools. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I have seen that I think is becoming somewhat problematic, uh, other than just base basic addiction to technology, which is definitely problematic. Mm. I mean, addiction, that's a whole, do a whole nother conversation on that. But it has to do with the people's attention spans mm. and placating to this very short, whether it's uh, different platforms where you scroll from one to the other thing quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I feel that I, I have noticed minimally the effect on me, but that's, I'm very careful with how I use those things. And if I wasn't careful or didn't have other practices like long form conversations, meditations, reading a book, even working out, just things where I feel that I'm doing one thing and I'm mm -hmm. giving my attention pretty much exclusively to one topic that helps to counterbalance the uh, attentional, that's, that could be a whole other tangent, we don't necessarily have to get into that. Yeah. Yeah, what, what was arising for me as you said that was just kind of tying back to that earlier point around, you know, holding a thread in a conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, actually, I would probably mostly tie it to having long deep conversations mm. uh, there you have it. Wow. reading books uh -huh. um you know doing doing things that take a long time and are kind of boring or tedious but staying focused and staying with them following the thread and i want to add to what you just said it's maybe it's kind of boring but for you it seems like these are things that you find actually oh, an incredible yeah I mean, I love it. so for somebody else it might be like it's something that you enjoy and that you're able to do 
for a long period of time mm -hmm. to yeah it, it's like a book like um uh, the immortality uh -huh. it was long yeah. it was scholarly uh -huh. and it, sometimes it was tedious yeah but like i followed it all the way through and i read every word right because right. i was fascinated by following this thread and the story because yeah. he went in all these different directions True. but he was building exactly, this yeah. this story and this line of evidence and this investigation yeah um to create this whole you know synthesis of understanding at the end uh-huh i'm excited to read that book again actually it's yeah. definitely a book i'm gonna read again so everyone, if you want to get your Dunbar number up, living truth, I'm just kidding, but not kidding at all, actually, because one of the things that I, I have recognized, which is a blessing over the past six years, is so many people will tell me, they're like, man, I wish I had more conversations mm -hmm. like this. And, and I hear that, and then I'll, maybe I'll offer an encouragement, which is just like, well, cool. Actually, no one even offered me that encouragement either, but the clear solution is, surround yourself more with people that you want to be around having the conversations about the things that you want to be having. So in that sense, yes, Living Truth and a lot of my other programs and offerings have Joanna, for example, or a dear friend of ours who's now living here in Costa Rica, um, joined one of Zlodkanai's online, online programs and now she's living in our community that we're, that's uh, David and I are, are talking about here on the mountain okay so this was longer than i thought it mm -hmm. would be i'm happy about that i've had a good time guess what time it is uh seven five forty six I, I shouldn't have known that it's not quite dark yet yeah. <laughs> but, but before we finish up i'm, I'm totally just gonna cool. touch i'm just please, gonna touch one please. more thread uh related to living truth because i just wanted to share how powerful i've found um, basically, it sounds kind of like what you're creating is like a group coaching container mm -hmm. where you're, you know, maybe you're not able to have um, individual conversations with everybody, but you can have a deep conversation with one person and mm -hmm. everybody is there mm -hmm. and in mm -hmm. the container. Is, is that kind of what it's, it's exactly what it is? And, and I've just found this particular uh, container to be so powerful. Because this is kind of what I've been doing with the you training for the last five months mm -hmm. is that like the way that we get the kind of transmission of the material in the workshops uh, is that we do group coaching where the you know the coach works with one person and there's 60 people on the call mm -hmm. all watching this interaction happen and everyone benefits mm -hmm. everyone benefits mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a certain power and synergy of this group container that it's like there's something there's something kind of like transcendent that comes through with this group uh -huh. energy uh -huh. um that it, like it ripples out through the group and people are deeply affected um and have the opportunity for healing growth and transformation even if they weren't the one receiving yeah. the coaching mm -hmm. um and then for the person who was receiving the coaching there's this amazing ability for you know everyone afterwards to provide reflection and witnessing presence mm -hmm. that I've, I've just often seen that person who was on the other end of the coaching conversation feeling so uh, seen heard held understood uh, received safe uh, by having you know a group of people all being compassionately curiously present 
about what's coming up for them. Mm -hmm. So it, there's something about it that just like totally amplifies and levels up the coaching container mm -hmm. and allows it to affect more than one person at a time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to say that that's awesome. I'm so stoked that that is, that's what you're up to because mm -hmm. uh, I think it's super important and super powerful. Mm -hmm. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And the one difference with this, I've chosen intentionally to not use the word coach with mm. this program mm -hmm. because I, I want to, yes, I have one-on-one -on -one sessions and work and mm -hmm. there's just, there's something about having everything that you just talked about, the curiosity, the compassion, the questions, like basically I lay out, here's what we're looking at, here's where we are. And so what's present mm. and whoever, whoever has something that's present, we come up and then we have a dialogue, but I don't, I, I don't. And the, the only reason why I have not chosen to use coach is because I don't want the, the dynamic of coach client, or I just want it to be this pure, mm -hmm. here you are, here I am. Yeah. The idea is I'll probably share something that can be insightful or helpful, but I don't even want to put that pressure on myself either. I want it to just be like this, this open expanse of let's be with what, what is mm. rising and mm. flow from there. Holding, holding the space for that, that, that wisdom and insight to arrive mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the group. Exactly. Yeah, in the group, this, yeah. um, directional right. conversation. Right. Where it's, it's only flowing in one direction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's back and forth. It's dynamic. Other people might chime into it i'm not the one with the answers that's the whole fucking idea of what we're talking about mm -hmm. um, and it's fun and, and i mean from the last years because this is the second iteration of it i did it last year a lot of the time we get together and we just like laugh about stuff and it didn't feel like we were laughing because we were afraid to not go into deeper material it was just mm -hmm. like a lot of the time there was just a deep resonance of like that was the thing that was maybe missing more so in other areas of life. So we got together and laughed at the paradoxical, beautiful nature of the deep stuff that we're all working on, but kind of approaching it in a more like lighthearted way. Mm. So, and it's different. It's definitely a different dynamic. I, I think that this, uh, I'm calling in someone that does have the courage to be vulnerable and to go into a place of working on things that it's going to be a demonstration of courage when there are multiple other people because mm. i i have noticed maybe you're noticing this with your coaching program mm. i can have the most incredibly vulnerable dialed in raw raw doesn't have to be vulnerable just real real conversation with one other person and there could be six other people there or it could just be me and that person it actually it the only thing that depends on that is my and the other person's willingness to to go in what could be a scary place knowing that there's more than two eyeballs looking back at them mm -hmm. even it might be scary even with the two eyeballs looking back so i'm inviting in that um, courage and i what i want to say about the courage here is something that <laughs> i'll tell you where i got this from so I, I don't have any secrets uh, to, to where this information is coming from. This is some, this is a quote that 
Eli Wild, Tony Robbins, top salesman taught me. Mm. <laughs> so if, if, is this trying to sell you into this? If you're called to it, absolutely. It absolutely is. He said, he's used the word confidence, but I replaced it with courage. He said, courage is a result of taking action, not a requirement to take action. Yep. Or confidence is a result of taking action, not a requirement to take action. And that just so resonated with me. And so even if it's not living truth that someone's thinking about doing, it's, uh, I have found the result of what I want is not on the other side of, uh, or, or, or I don't need to have confidence to get the result or to do the thing. But in doing the thing, I actually recognize that I have the courage or I have mm. the confidence. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's not a, not a prerequisite. It's not like not a first, first I'm going to you know, develop some confidence. Right. And then I'm going to be able to do the things. And now do the thing. And that's where you find your confidence. Mm-hmm. Or recognize that, oh, actually, I have it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Bingo. Recognize. Okay. Last thing I want to say, because... I've never said this before, and it sounds like a really cool ending question to ask on a podcast, so I'm going to do it from now on. This is unspeakable bliss. We've said a lot, but is there anything that's being left unsaid? It's funny, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to answer that question. That's, it's unspeakable. <laughs> is there anything left unsaid? <laughs> um, yeah, but maybe... Uh, if both of us, because maybe something will come through me if you want to just kind of tune in for a moment. Uh, I have gratitude for anyone that has listened to this. I think we're almost at two hours conversation. And I'm grateful for you, brother, for joining me and uh, having the courage <laughs> to uh, explore what we've been exploring, which we didn't know much. There's not much that went into this, but I am wondering. That Tim Ferriss asks it in this way. He said, if you had a billboard and it had one message on it for all of humanity, no pressure, mm. uh, what, what would you put on that billboard? And instead of asking it that way, I guess, what is, if there is anything that you could even put word to, which might not be possible, just one a takeaway or one there's anything there. Yeah, I guess. What's been what's been most powerful for me is recognizing that the mechanism of my growth and evolution is through having challenging experiences. Mm. And that looking back on all of the challenging experiences I've had, they are the most important and formative experiences. They, they are what have made me who I am. Uh, and I'm so grateful for all those challenges. Mm-hmm. And so it's just to get curious, excited, joyful, even if you can, about leaning into challenging experiences and difficult areas of exploration because they're so awesome so juicy and they're how we love mm-hmm. and grow and we can do it together and it's even more fun mm-hmm. if we've got friends to go on those adventures with mm-hmm. 
so we're going to do a cold plunge in the river in David's backyard. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that would be uncomfortable. <laughs> yep. Cool, man. Well, thank you. And uh, for everyone that tuned in, thank you for listening. I will link up all the details that we talked about. And that's it. See you in the next episode.